Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today's Bible reading comes from Genesis chapter 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Yahweh was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that Yahweh was with him, and that Yahweh caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight, and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house, and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, Yahweh blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of Yahweh was on all that he had, in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How, then, can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, She caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, He left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. And as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. But Yahweh was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge, because Yahweh was with him, and whatever he did, Yahweh made it succeed. This is the word of the Lord. Now, as we jump into this chapter, a family conversation point is in order. Joseph has been hated by his brothers. They sought to kill him, 
chose instead to enslave him, sold him into slavery. He was then sold again by the slave traders to the Egyptians, to Potiphar. Does God hate him? Has God abandoned him? And the answer to that is undeniably no. Far from it. God is with him. God loves him. God cares for him. God preserves him. God's care and provision do not require special placement or status in this world for his people. In fact, God can and does care for us no matter what situation we may find ourselves in. This is the true meaning behind Philippians chapter 4, the the famous verse that people like to quote from Paul saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That statement is made in the context of contentment, that Paul knows what it is to be rich or poor, to be well-fed or to be hungry. He can do all things. He can endure all situations because he knows it is Christ who strengthens him. This is why Peter, in his epistle, 1 Peter, multiple times can call suffering a gift from God. Joseph here, notably in this text, never mopes about the station he has in life. He's a 17-year-old boy when he's sold as a slave. He doesn't mope, he doesn't pout, he doesn't say, oh, woe is me, he serves. This is our lot, this is what we do as Christians, as the people of God. We are not here to live a great life. We are not here to live an abundant and prosperous life. We are here to love our neighbor. If you're in a fantastic situation that provides you with luxury and comfort, you don't have to repent of that. That is, you don't have to flee it and leave it per se. You just serve your neighbors. Use what things you have, unrighteous mammon, as they're called in Luke's gospel, to love your neighbor. And if you're in a terrible situation, like Joseph, serve your neighbor. Love your neighbor. They will see how you act and how you still live that life, which to them looks like it should be miserable from the outside, but you live it differently. Why? How? How can you do that? It's because we're fueled by the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Knowing that this life is a gift, but it's temporary. It's only here for a few passing moments, and then we get to be with Christ in paradise. And whatever we have here, in comparison to that, is pretty empty. Everything we have is a gift today. But the true and the greatest gift awaits as we get to be with Christ forever. And that's what we long for. That's what we look forward to. So we're here, like Joseph, simply serving day in and day out to the best of our ability. Joseph is 17 years old when he's sold as a slave. By the time we get him in Pharaoh's court, the next time his age is mentioned, he'll be 30. So he's going to be spending 13 years between his time in Potiphar's house in this chapter and then in the prison in the next A reminder from our conversation in chapter 37, two days ago, this word for Potiphar, that he is an officer of Pharaoh in the Hebrew, is actually a eunuch. And so it is highly likely, although not, I I don't think we can say for certain, but it seems likely that Potiphar was a eunuch. Now, it could be made that way by Pharaoh, hard to say, but this does play a little bit into this 
overall flow of the chapter, that his wife would be seeking to have an affair even though she's married to a man of great power. It could be for a simple sexual pleasure if her husband indeed is a eunuch that would make it harder for him to give her pleasure. But again, we don't know it for sure, and it does not excuse her behavior either. Even if it's true, she still commits adultery. She chooses to act on her temptations, and we find out actually much worse about her as the chapter goes on. So Joseph, as he works for his Egyptian master, Potiphar, Yahweh blesses all that he does. For Joseph's sake, you see in verse 5. Why? Because God has a purpose in all of this. God is going to work through this, as Joseph himself will acknowledge to his brothers at the end of the book. God is working through their evil in order to bring about good for all the nations. God is going to work through Joseph to save, well, in our book, countless people, millions in Egypt, in Canaan, perhaps in other surrounding nations as well. It's a beautiful, wondrous thing God is going to do through this man, Joseph, leading him through suffering first in order to bring about God's glory in this world. There's something to be said about that, even again for our own lives, that the Lord works through evil to bring about good. And Romans 8, we'll talk about that in the New Testament. Now, I do want to point out in verse 3, his master saw Yahweh was with him. Now, whether that indicates that Potiphar has some sort of faith or even acknowledges beyond the fact of Joseph's good stewardship that there is a higher power at work, the very least, Potiphar's noticing everything Joseph does goes well. And it appears to be that he's acknowledging that Joseph's God is in well, is responsible for that happening. So this could be an opportunity for Potiphar to repent and believe. We're never told that he does. The end of verse 6, which starts a new paragraph in ESV, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Joseph is now the fourth person described in the book of Genesis as being good-looking. Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel before him Rachel described in a similar way, both of form and appearance, like he is now. It's noteworthy, in all four of these situations, nothing good comes of their attractiveness. We think of beauty as this great ideal, but it really ends up being this idol. Sarah's beauty leads to Abraham's lies and deception as he pawns her off as his sister to both the Philistines and the Egyptians. Rebecca's beauty... It does much the same as Isaac will do the same thing with Abimelech in Philistine territory again. And then Rachel? Well, Jacob's going to lust after her and spend 14 years in servitude to his uncle in order to have her hand in marriage and then lives a life filled with constant strife until she dies. It's not, it's not good, and you know how this chapter will play out as well. So beauty is not all that our society makes it out to be. I'm not saying beauty is necessarily a curse, but it's not, again, it's not the thing to chase after. A faithful spouse is a far greater value. 
Anyway, what happens in this chapter? Potiphar's wife, oh, she has her own lustful attraction to Joseph and tries to get him to have sex with her. He refuses. She tries again. He refuses. And again and again, this plays out over days and longer. She does it day after day, but he would not. He does note both sides of this. Potiphar has entrusted his house to him. How could he so sin against Potiphar? But also, how could he so sin against God? This is a sin against God and man. This would be a terrible thing to do, and so he doesn't do it. He remains faithful. This is a caution and a warning to us in two ways. First, within the context here, the unfaithful, the unbeliever, cannot be expected to honor your faithfulness. She has the opportunity to repent of her own sin when Joseph turns her down, but instead she continues trying to sin against her husband, against God, against Joseph. And when he wants nothing to do with it and she has the chance, she seeks to trap him. She seeks to tear him down. She seeks to undo and destroy his reputation and his life. And when her husband comes home, she continues to lie about it. All she had to do was just throw away the garment. Wouldn't have mattered. No one would have known anything. Joseph had done no wrong. But she seeks to destroy him because he has, well, he has sought to actually help her to keep her from temptation, to keep her from sinning even further. But again, the unbelieving world cannot be expected to uphold you in your faith. They will seek to tear you down if they can. I'm just pointing it out. It's to be expected. It's not that we can necessarily avoid it even, but we should expect it. Pray to God, pray for your enemy, love your enemy, serve your enemy, and if your enemy kills you, they kill you. You're with Jesus. It's going to be all right, better than all right. But the second warning or caution from this text comes from the next paragraph, and this goes to men today. Don't put yourself into a place where temptation can occur, if at all possible. Joseph goes into the house with this woman alone. I know, it's... 3,000 years, almost 4,000 years of hindsight, he shouldn't have gone into that house with that woman alone, especially not after she's been trying this day after day. Not a good spot to have put himself in. But he did. If we can, men, we should avoid situations where we would be one-on-one alone with a woman that is not our, our wife. It's not a good spot to put ourselves in. A, for the temptation of it, either for the woman or for yourself, but also for the temptation of the people around. You see a man go into a a single woman's house, stays there for a few hours, then leaves. Uh, What might the neighbors say? Suddenly, your reputation, her reputation can be slandered and destroyed, and in an age where things can go viral overnight, the whole world know about them? It's just, Not a good idea. Not worth it. We are called to love and care for our neighbor. That includes their reputation. So she pounces on this opportunity. She tells all the servants. She hangs on to the garment. In the verse 17, when her husband returns, she tells him as well. 
Now notice, the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us, very much so here patterned the same way Adam did in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, Adam blames Eve, and he blames God, the one in authority over him. Here, she blames Joseph, and she blames her husband, the one who's in authority over her. It's his fault. Came in to laugh at me. I do want to point out that that is Isaac's name as a verb. It's in verse 14 as well. And as we saw it in chapter 26, that Isaac was Isaacing with Rebekah. Laughing with is how ESV takes it, but it can have a sexual connotation to it. So a sexual play, um, flirtation maybe, going on here is the, the language behind the word. It can be a mockery. That's how it's used of Ishmael laughing at Isaac in one of the previous chapters as well. Some flexibility in that word. Verse 19, As soon as Potiphar heard the words his wife spoke, his anger was kindled. Now the question here I want to leave you with today is to ponder this one. Who is his anger kindled at? The simple reading of the text and the way most Christians throughout history have taken this is that he's mad at Joseph, that Potiphar believes his wife's word, and he acts. I want to offer you a possible second option here to consider. I can't say it with any confidence for sure, but the gr grammar here is open to it. And this comes from a couple of things. First, if Potiphar is mad at Joseph, if he believes Joseph just tried to rape his wife, a servant, a foreigner at that, why stop at prison? Surely somebody in the Egyptian court a foreigner trying to rape his wife, surely that could be punishable by death. So if that's the case, Potiphar here could be being merciful, or it could be a sign that he doesn't really believe his wife, and so his anger is more directed at her than it is at Joseph. And his anger then is that he's losing his best servant because there's nothing else he can do. He cannot prove his wife's infidelity. His servants, other servants, they know the wife's word. He has to act. And so he's angry about losing Joseph, losing the prosperity of his house that has come under Joseph. The second thing that feeds that is that the chapter 40, verse 3, we learn that this prison belongs to Potiphar. The prison that Joseph is thrown into is Potiphar's charge. We learn that because the title used at the head of the prison in 40 verse 3 is the same title, Captain of the Guard, in the Hebrew, used of Potiphar in chapter 37 verse 36 and again in chapter 39 verse 1 today. So Potiphar, as the captain of the guard of Pharaoh, oversees the prison, but he has a servant who is the keeper of the prison. So basically he takes his servant Joseph and he entrusts him to another one of his servants. In this way, again, if Potiphar is actually believing Joseph to be innocent here, he gets to keep the faithful servant, and he knows this other area of his work will be well cared for, and he won't have to deal with that himself any longer. It's an interesting thing to ponder. Can't prove it for sure. What we do know is that Potiphar puts Joseph in prison, 
The keeper of the prison, just as Potiphar did, puts Joseph in charge of everything because anything Joseph touches, blessed by the Lord, goes well. This is for the sake, again, of saving the nations, delivering them from the famine that is to come over the next couple of chapters. Now, the Lord did not need Potiphar's wife to do this, but he works through her evil anyway. Had Potiphar's wife not done any of this, Joseph is becoming a man of great authority under Potiphar. Potiphar is the captain of the guard. He's a regular official in the Pharaoh's court. Pharaoh would come to know of Joseph that way, but the Lord works good out of evil. He works through this bad situation to bring about ultimately his purpose, again to save the lives of millions, sparing them from starvation. Let us praise the word incarnate, Christ your Son.